afternoon. Hello and welcome to Nottingham Good Food Partnership Local Lunch, your weekly podcast which reveals everything you need to know about Nottingham's local food heroes and how you can get more involved in our vibrant local food scene. Local Lunch is brought to you by Nottingham Good Food Partnership, the go-to organisation for sustainable food in our fair city. Your hosts, me, Shona Monroe and me, Penny Poyser, will introduce you to local people making a difference to our food system. Before we introduce our wonderful guests, let's talk about what we're having for lunch. Well, today (laughs) we have Velvety Parsnip Leek Lovage and Cashew Soup. It's World Vegan Month happening right now, so our soup is right on the button. So this recipe, it's very, very simple. If you can chop and stir, you can make the soup. So I've got a couple of uh, big parsnips, which are diced. There was two green ends of leeks that I had hanging around in the fridge. Make use of that waste, people. A couple of shallots, because I love the flavour of shallots. Mm. They just bring so much to a soup. Three big old cloves of garlic, water for those colds. About a thumb-sized piece of ginger, which I grated. Veggie stock cube and a big handful of lovage. If you can't get lovage, then some thyme also works really well. So what did I do? I fried up all the veg um, in some rapeseed oil, local rapeseed oil, until they took on a bit of colour. Then I added in the stock cube, salt and pepper, and about a third of a block of coconut milk. Then I sautéed all the ingredients together for about five minutes before adding in a litre of water with the stock cube. Simply simmered it for 15 minutes until the veg were nice and tender and then blitzed it up. It's velvety and packed with vitamins. So Shona, give us the info on the nutrition. Well, parsnip is a great source of vitamin E and potassium and dietary fibre. And if we look at what vitamin E is great for, well, it's great for bolstering the immune system. And as it gets colder, we all need a little bit of an injection yeah, good goodness. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And also for like cashews, it's a great source of protein. Really great source of protein, about 36% uh, in, in there. And magnesium, which is really important for regulating blood sugar levels. Okay. And I was reading earlier, it's great to com- for combating uh, asthma as well. Really? Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. So yeah, healthy bowl of soup there. And um, that's a great segue in to our local food hero today, who knows everything about growing food. Mm-hmm. Um, and we like to call her the Pumpkin Princess. So it's a massive welcome <laughs> to Tracy Lloyd, who we know and love. She's one of our gurus. And Tracy, you described yourself as being part of the 1980s, surely, surely too young for that, <laughs> um, wave of environmentalists. So she's been trying to save the planet for some time and thinks that growing things for ourselves is a big part of the answer. Now, Tracy can be found at the stunning Windmill Community Garden at Bobbers Mill in Nottingham, which has been set up as a climate-friendly garden. Now, nobody knows more about this, and uh, you you need to tell us all about it, Tracy. So, Tracy, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, so thank tell you. us a bit about yourself and how did you get into food growing? Um, actually, when I was doing my finals at university, I really was having a lot of mental health issues and I found that gardening just solved it. So I really got into that and then I um, met a friend, Alan Carter, who was very into permaculture and he got me into thinking about permaculture and he now runs the Scottish Forest Garden uh, in Aberdeen, which is just an allotment that he has near his home. Does lovely things, great blog if you want to read it. And um, he taught me a lot of what I know um, 
and then the rest is just um, learning as you go along. <laughs> uh, I am, have got a geography background, and that really does help because it helps you understand how the soil works and how the how much sun it's going to get and slope angle and things like that. You know. And you're you're a landscape educator. So tell us what that means in practice. Right, so I'm, I've been accredited through um, it's uh, the Scottish organisation, which is the Sister of Learning Through Landscapes, um, and that is helping schools to teach outside. So we both can help the schools design their grounds and then also actually then teaching them. And my proud boast is that if you tell me something I will tell you how to teach it outside um, so I've done all kinds of things I've done times tables I've done um, <laughs> the Battle of Culloden was quite a fun one which is a <laughs> thing you learn um, <laughs> that's pretty random, that's pretty <laughs> random. <laughs> did you get them to Re-knock Culloden using large vegetables instead of uh, spears and swords <laughs> <laughs> we actually did yes. the, the aftermath of the battle um, apparently people kind of melted away and their plates, their katartans helped them uh, to uh, be camouflaged so we went and had a look outside. First of all we challenged the children to escape from school without being seen. Oh, <laughs> risky, yeah, risky well, strategy. <laughs> only into the grounds and we prepped all the teachers not to see them so that worked quite well but they you never seen a quieter bunch of kids collecting by the Jacobite sign that we left out. And then uh, they just um, looked at how different colours would work in nature and how uh, we linked it into animals that would have a, um, alert colours and animals that would be camouflaged. It was brilliant. That's it was amazing. Wonderful. So are you working with schools at the moment then? Can you I tell am. us a bit about that? So I'm working with um, Crabtree Primary, um, helping them to have every class growing. I'm working with Radford Academy with a brief to get them to learn more about learning outside. Um, so I've worked with all the teachers to think about the opportunities for learning outside. Is that a secondary or primary? It's a primary and they've actually, even though they're right in the middle of town, they've got a gorgeous um, little forest. Really? Created, yes, which they can go into. It's amazing. What, what sort of um, trees are in the, the forest? What sort of size um, are they? Well, they've got some orchard trees. They've got some, um, well, a whole variety really. It's quite amazing, quite a few willows. Um, and they are probably, about 10 foot at the minute, but obviously get bigger, they've got a little fire circle with them. It's just gorgeous. Oh, By the way, the soup was also gorgeous. Oh, there's, there's more if you would like it. <laughs> wow, that's absolutely extraordinary. So, one of the, the great things I think that um, so many people have benefited from is Windmill Community Gardens. And um, you know, we, both Shona and I visited it, and it's magical space. It, it's, oh, thank you. It, it's incredible. It's, and it's not just the space; it's the atmosphere yeah. and the, and the, the sense of welcoming, you know, and, yeah. and safe kind of sense of, 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 of the place. And the fact, interestingly, that it's a climate-friendly garden. Yes. And I'm sure people listening in would like to learn more about what we mean by that. Okay. So the, the brief, um, it was revamped underground work and the brief that we had then which is was, where we met which it? is where we met yeah. yes. um, the brief we had then was that we would try and do it in a way that was using as little energy as possible and as few brought in resources as possible um, and that's really how we've tried to continue 
not everything works, obviously. There's a few plans we've had that we mm, that's not quite so useful. Um, but we keep trying things out every year. We try a few new things and some of them we keep going with and some of them we very able to tell people, yeah, well, that sounded great, but actually mm, not so good. Um, and the, the brief continues to be avoiding anything that would be an artificial input, um, avoiding having to kill anything even with organic methods if we can um, but we, we would try not to we um, are always trying to get as many local inputs as possible so we we run our stove by uh, coppicing our own willow and hazel on yeah. site and then actually they've got a nice little circuit so they get used as poles in the garden and as uh, weavers for the herb bed surrounds and um, arty things, you know, we do lots of arts and crafts. And then once they've dried out over a year, then they get used on the stove. Wow. Um, so it's a brilliant system. Or we use them to make a dead hedge. So anything that's a bit twiggy, we put it in along the edges, which help give us a nice fence um, under the trees where the trees have got a little bit tall. And that then gives a lot of habitat value as well, which is lovely. Mm -hmm. And then also we maintain it in a sort of permaculture style, so wild edges. Um, and uh, trying to leave a space for wildlife within the garden. So we have what we call be kind corners. <laughs> so we help people learn what a, a baby a wildflower looks like. We let them set seed and then we just move them over into the corners or just don't weed the corners if we know we've got a good set. And that means there's always lots of beef plants all over. <laughs> and uh, also if we have got something that's quite nice to eat, but a bit weedy, then we let that set seed again. So it means most of our weed seeds are actually edible plants. Great. Bonus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Food for bees and people. Yes. <laughs> now, um, am I right in thinking that you, you upcycle and repurpose containers as well? Yes, we do. We, we try and do that a lot. We've got a lot of fun things. Um, we've got the Primrose Suite, which is a bath, um, loo and... Um, <laughs> It's just a wee thing. Um, oh. the, um, the, the bath is particularly good because um, I don't know how much you know about blueberries, but the soil around here, even when it's clay, tends to be alkaline, so it's helpful to have um, your blueberries in a pot. But they don't like to be dry because they're actually a, almost a wetland plant. Mm. I'm sure you know that. But uh, anyway, the, so we have them in the bath. The drainage is there, but it's small, so that's really good. And they've been so happy since we put them in the bath. Okay. So we've got three gorgeous blueberries, which at the moment are absolutely crimson and gorgeous. Oh, the leaves are. I mean, they're, they're they're such a wonderful plant, aren't oh, they? Right. Because they not only give you the beautiful fruit, but you've got the pretty little white flowers. Then autumn, you get this wonderful flush. Mm. Um, what, what do you need to do about pruning them or their care? Um, well, we grow them in the same way that we grow uh, black currants. So we prune out near the bottom rather than pruning back. And we just take out the oldest wood each year and no more than a third of the plant. Okay. Um, I should say I've got a few other little fun things you might fancy with planters. One is to do um, wine bottles are good, but any bottle which is about that kind of size, mm. full of water. Mm. Um, we don't put a top on it because it needs to go up and down as the liquid in it expands. You fill them with water and then you put them around um, something that you want to keep warm. So you can actually use it to make the planter itself, or you can just use it to kind of armour the planter. 
and it, it takes the heat and then it releases it at night. So it's great if you want to grow something like tomatoes and you haven't got a warm wall to get them going a bit faster. Um, wow. And it also protects, I don't know if you've noticed, when you've got a planter, often there's about, um, I'm going to old money, two inches um, <laughs> around the edge of the planter, which actually get a bit hot for the roots and mm. the plant can't use it all. But obviously if you've surrounded it with these bottles, then that will take the heat instead. And and have you got a natural raised bed there as well? So you're talking about wood. Yes. You've got this mound, have you? Yes, we have. The Hugel culture. So Hugel culture, you will find a lot of drawings of Hugel cultures which were done by people who've never actually used one. As well. <laughs> <laughs> um, because as a geographer, I can tell you that the slope angle they're showing is not stable. <laughs> <laughs> And a few people have tried them and said, yeah, that's not possible. So we did one, um, we, you basically, it's great if you've got hedge clippings um, or any rotten wood. Yeah. And that's what you need as the base. So dig a hole, put that in, then get anybody you can aim into a bucket to give you some nitrogen-rich liquid. <laughs> um, and, uh, <laughs> and 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 is is male wee better than lady wee? No. I've heard this rumour. No, is it no. Just, it's just the men that say that. <sighs> And anyone who tells you about the hormones, pregnant women would have much more of an issue with hormones than anybody on the pill. So in fact, we're fine. <laughs> so we're all good. <laughs> um, so yeah, any of that liquid, that recycled beer, wine, and um, can go in there as well. And then you put the soil back. So you're ending up with a heap. Um, what shape is the heap? Now, this is the question. The shape, I would say, <laughs> we managed to get ours probably about um, what 30 40 centimeters mm. high mm. above the ground level, and I suppose about 45 degree angle. But the pictures you'll see have got something which is like a it's 60 degree pointy, angle, and that cannot, that cannot work yeah. unless you've got some kind of sods which have already got something in. Maybe, I mean, I suppose if you were trying to grow a mat of something and then put it on, it might manage. But mm. I mean, I can tell you that is not a stable angle, and everyone I've shown that too has found that the soil gradually gets shed and all they're left with is a heap of sticks. Mm. And what so, grows well on there then? Well the, the concept was that it was good because it increased heat initially as the thing is rotting underneath and then it gave you a lot of lovely friable soil. So we found it was pretty good initially for squashes and things like that. Um, latterly we've used it for Jerusalem artichokes because once you've got Jerusalem artichokes you've always got Jerusalem artichokes. Um, and tell people the difference between a Jerusalem, which has nothing to do with Jerusalem, yes. is, it, is the name, um, and the globe. But first of all, <laughs> that's it. Oh, she's, she's done the well, schoolgirl era. I do apologise. <laughs> we'll let you off, Tony. We'll let you off. And trust me, that's so yeah. many times. No, I'm so sincere. Um, so, the Jerusalem artichoke, I think, may have been called it because it's actually a sort of sunflower. So, in the years that it does flower, the flower will turn slightly in the sun, towards the sun. Um, but it's basically a lovely big leafy plant which grows so hugely and wonderfully that you can use it as a windbreak. Um, but the joke is that it collects the wind and then gives it back to you when you eat it. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? Um, I, mean, I yes. love Jerusalem artichokes, um, um, but there has to be like a methane exclusion zone in the house. <laughs> when I've had it. <laughs> However, um, I should tell you, I've recently started cooking them by boiling them whole 
and then peeling off the skin when they're cooler. And mm. I think that I have less of an issue afterwards. So I'm so maybe wrong. skin on there, maybe. Yes. Yeah. Or, or maybe just that you lose some of whatever it is in the water as you've done that. I don't know. So there's slightly less farty choke. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, I think I'll probably, probably yes. exhausted that one. <laughs> um, and then the other sort of artichoke, the um, one that we know that is more like a thistle, um, obviously, well, it is a thistle. And... Um, the great thing about those is that you eat them until you're fed up with them and then you leave a few to flower and then the birds just love mm -hmm. the seeds and the fluff. So we think they're fantastic. Um, I like those ones uh, collected when they're kind of a little bit bigger than the golf ball, I guess, and you just have to cut them in half then and cook them. You don't need to faff around getting the fluffy bit that's going to be a flower. Oh, all right, so the choke, when, when does the choke actually... I suppose start when they're kind off. of tennis ball size, okay. then you start needing to take it out, but it's not that big. Mm. You know? um, so I have an Italian friend who told me to do it that way. So, so you know the garden? Yeah. Mm. Is, it, is it more of a demo site? Because I'm interested in community gardens from, from a point of view of how they feed, how they can feed people who visit there. Yes. So looking at yields of, of, of the blueberries and, and, and the other produce yeah. growing, how how well can it feed people? Um, well, it does feed people on a Thursday throughout um, the time from Easter to around Christmas. It doesn't feed every single element of food, but it's usually a significant part of what's in the meal. Um, and in fact, the meals were started with a view to helping people learn how to uh, do the cooking of what they were growing. However, it's not been laid out with a view to maximising um, production because the paths are very wide to make them accessible yes so for our size we don't necessarily have the production that we would have if we'd been laid out so it gives the maximum growing area having said that um, we're feeding 50 to 20 people once a week and that's not terrible and that's most great. of them take home stuff as well um, and it's it's brilliant um, we've got a great vine and um, we have a lovely Palestinian lady who comes and does our cooking, and she's the grapevine. Oh, yeah. Stuff leaves, <laughs> fantastic. But some, um, Iraqis and Iranians have the same view as the, the grapevine leaves. Um, our Pakistani and Indian volunteers absolutely love the kalaloo, which is interesting. Um, and they will eat that in preference to spinach now because they like spinach, but our spinach has had a lot of problems with bolting recently with these funny little hot yeah. days we've had. Yeah. Um, so they've loved that. And um, and then we have our, our uh, local folk who quite often, I think, were probably vitamin C dodgers. <laughs> <laughs> and it's very interesting that we've gradually got them so that vegetables are a much more standard part of their diet, which is one really. So that's, yeah. I mean, that that's, that's amazing. And is that because you've, it just looks so great that said, oh, I'll try a little bit of that, or do you encourage them a bit more? How have you actually got them to do that? Well, everyone sits down to eat together. There are a few people who bring their own sandwiches, but even the ones who bring their own sandwiches quite often, they'll listen to people saying nice things and have to try. Mm. Um, and we do try and accommodate people who mean we have the other person who really can't eat something for dietary reasons or can't eat something for health reasons. Um, but usually we manage to feed everybody fairly simply. And um, yes, I mean, I think hopefully what we do tastes good. And, well, I'm sure, sure it does because you're a pumpkin brulee. We were, we were oh. talking about the <laughs> yeah. pumpkin princess. Well, your brulee is out of this world. It and also, evolving. you put a lot of us onto pumpkin risotto. Ah, yes. Which is also 
delicious. How many recipes do you have for pumpkins? I think about <laughs> 50. Wow. Including face cream and fudge. Wow. <laughs> wow. Pumpkin fudge. Mm. And face cream, yeah. doesn't it? Mm. Admittedly, about 20 of those for soup. But um, I, I'm very keen on putting pumpkin into all kinds of things. I, I describe it as the surprise secret ingredient. And um, I think it works really well for people who are eating meat as well to sort of make everything go further. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it's quite like a bit like um, tomatoes that you can stick it into things yeah, and people yeah. aren't necessarily aware of it. it's a bit thick as well, isn't it? Yes. And it has that sweet and savoury umaminess to it. It's, yeah. it's quite versatile. It is. Can I, can I just ask you a bit more about the the people who, who come to your yes. meals? You, you've mentioned uh, Iraqis and Palestinians. Uh, there's the local people. So. And I, I just wonder if you could share kind of the picture of how these people from all you know, disparate countries and lifestyles, how, how do they all work together? And how, how do they know about the garden? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, admittedly, we have a slight issue because we're called Windmill Community Gardens and there isn't a windmill. <laughs> it's got the smell, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. So we did once lose a bus full of Chinese old age pensioners because their driver knew where he was going and didn't need to look at the instructions. Um, and end up at Greensville. But um, essentially, we get a lot of referrals from people who are um, not able to, uh, organisations who help people who aren't able to work for health reasons or mental health reasons. Um, and then we also um, make ourselves um, one of the potential volunteering opportunities for um, people who are looking for work and for. Um, local students. Um, we also work with a couple of groups which specifically are helping people who are on the autistic spectrum. Um, my own eldest son is also on the spectrum so I feel like I've got some insight into that and we're very much an autism friendly garden in the way that we run it and we always make sure we've got a a nice quiet place if you need to go off to a quiet place mm. kind of thing. Um, and then um, we've got links with some organisations like The Vine and um, some of the local... That's Heist and Green, The Vine. Yeah, Heist and Green. Yeah. Some, of, some of the other local organisations and they know about us and spread the word that way as well. But we'd always be thrilled to get other ideas of how to make people aware that we're there. Yeah. Um, now that we... Uh, they, we this might help. <laughs> yeah, really, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's now a housing area near us that's recently been built. And we always advertise there and we're actually getting more people coming in. So that's, that's fantastic. Yeah. That's brilliant. And do you think you've inspired many to start growing at home then? Because I know looking at your blog, the purpose of this climate-friendly garden is to teach people to do the same at home. Well, yes, that is a slightly double-edged sword though, because quite often they go off and get their own allotment and then we kind of lose them because they're busy. Yeah. But we see that as a success. It's yeah, been absolutely. lovely. And we quite often end up with people who are at a difficult time of their lives and they gradually get better whilst they're with us, which is lovely. Um, and then we tend to know that they're feeling really well when they say, I think I'll get my own allotment. And we usually mentor them through the first couple of years when they do that. That's, 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 that's absolutely tremendous. And it makes you think about the opportunities to do social social prescribing, doesn't it? Mm. Are you doing that? Because we were talking to Rachel yesterday about the Nottingham Growing Network and about how they're looking to do more of that kind of stuff, like GP referrals. Well, I'm very interested in that as well. I'm part of that network yes, too. And it's been clear to all of us, we're all a little bit time poor. Yeah. And we all 
believe in that, but we haven't necessarily formalised it. But we think it would be brilliant. It could really help people. Um, we're also linking up um, with a mental health project. Uh, hopefully, um, we'll get the go-ahead next year, um, which is going to help people who could do with some um, therapy sessions but don't feel quite there. Yeah. And they, they will actually get garden therapy. Right. which I think will make a difference as well. And are there 27 gardens in the network then? Is it something like that? Easily. Yes, I just yeah. I don't know, but yes, lots. Wow. <laughs> Some more active than others, obviously. Mm. Um, yeah, I, mean, the, I mean, the whole, that beautiful kind of necklace of, of community gardens mm. and their various forms around the city, I think, are, are real hidden gems, aren't they? I think it would be, be great, again, through Local Lunch Podcast, if we can really talk about that, I mean, the um, one of the network coordinators, um, who is Lynn, Lynn Taylor, Taylor yeah. Lynn. Um, has has been working on the network for a long, long time. Yes, you know, I call her my gardening fairy godmother. Do you? Yes. And why do you call her your gardening fairy godmother? She tends to turn up and fix things when they're oh. working. <laughs> <laughs> and there, there is a, a great sense of sisterhood, isn't there? Because so. Um, you know, whilst there are wonderful men involved in this, you do tend to find in the local food scene that it's a bit like flipping, you know, kind of uh, developing countries, agrarian patterns with women doing a lot of the work. And that seems to be the same in kind of urban environments as well, that it always seems to be women who are kind of getting stuck in. Why do you think that is? That's a very interesting question. Is it the nurturing role that women take on? Maybe. I could imagine that. So, I mean, I think for a lot of us, we, we gain a certain confidence in the growing side of it because we want to cook. And cooking has become a sort of traditional role for women quite often, just by default. Mm. Um, and I just wonder if we're coming to it through thinking, well, I could grow it myself and cook it. Mm. Um, whereas guys are maybe thinking, I'll go to... And the shops and I buy all of that. I don't know. Do you think it's also, you know, that very act that when you're when you're putting a plant into the soil, that becomes like your child, and there is this real sense of Ooh, nurturing, isn't there? That if a plant is struggling, it's a bit like a sick child. So you oh. want to give it a little bit more love, you know. And then when it does really, really well, and you do this amazing harvest. It's a, it's such a sense of achievement, isn't it? I think doing it yourself definitely makes it feel like it is yours in a way that. Just having bought it doesn't see so value yes. differently. There's yes. a deeper connection to it, I guess. I mean, we were talking, weren't we, about what we can do to future-proof the, the food system, and quite clearly, community food-growing spaces have a massive Absolutely. part to play I in that. Well, what so. are your thoughts on what what do we need to do to? Well, I mean, it's clear that we're already wasting a lot of um, food. Um, I don't know if you've heard of the Abundance Project. Yeah, yeah. Something I'm involved in in my home village. Yes. Which was inspired actually again by being at Groundwork and yeah. meeting our wonderful friend Leon from Sheffield. Yes, Leon Ballin, yes. Yes. Um, but essentially, um, the number of people who grow a fruit tree or um, even a nut tree, that they don't really think about when it's going to be mature and suddenly it's producing huge amounts of fruit and they now don't have a family and they're not particularly interested. Mm-hmm. And we found our village is just a food forest, really, and just people weren't using it. And we, gosh, I don't know, must get through hundreds of uh, 
bread baskets full of apples. And what do you do with those apples then? Do you have an apple day where people can come and... We do that once a year, but mainly we give them away on a weekend. We have a little stall outside that people know to come to. And if we have extra, then we give it to community businesses or not-for-profits or people who are feeding others. Great, wonderful. Well, that, that, that's amazing. I can't believe how, how quickly this half hour is gone. gone. Wow. It's absolutely crazy. But thank you so much, Tracy. Um, we, we've learned loads, as yes. we always do when we, we meet up with you. So, um, how can people find out more about Windmill Community Garden? We've got a Facebook page or a website. We've got a blog and we've got a Facebook page. If you look up Windmill Community Gardens Nottingham, you'll find us on Facebook. And if you look up windmillcommunitygardens.blogspot.com, you'll find us uh, on the blog. Great. And, and does that have opening hours and days as well? It there? does. Yeah, it great. Does. Yeah. Lovely. Uh, yes, so join us for lunch at 1.30 next Friday when we'll be introducing Laura Mae Brown, probably anyway. Probably, there could yeah. Be a, there could be another surprise yet. She's Community Manager at Business in the Community. She's also Vice Chair of Nottingham Good Food Partnership. And Laura will be telling us about how the business community is supporting the local food system. Which is absolutely vital. We're oh, always all in this together. Yes. So, lovely people, we hope you've enjoyed the podcast. So join us on Anchor FM and Spotify. Simply search for NGFP Local Lunch. And we'll see you next week for another tasty lunch and a fabulous guest. Yippee! Thank you, Tracy. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.